you guys think real estate's slow out there, we accepted one offer, an all cash offer on one of these places in the first three days. The other one we accepted in a week over Christmas. And now, surprised me. So stuff is moving. You just have to be in the right price points. What's going on, guys? Welcome to today's episode of the Collecting Keys Real Estate Investing Podcast. Today is Wednesday. This is the Mike and Dan Show. If this is your first time here, I am Mike DeHaan, here with my co-host, Dan Austin. And this is the show where we teach you how to make massive income, not just passive income with your real estate investing business. So if you don't want to be like all the other investors that you know and like wait until you're 65 or 70 or older to be rich, then you should listen, take some notes and give us a little follow because that's what we like to do is make money <laughs> and sort of go against the mold with what everyone else is doing. So anyways, guys, on this show, this is Dan and I. We like to talk business. We like to talk investing. We like to talk real estate market economy as a whole and a little bit of banter here and there because it's our yeah, show. We can talk what we want. So <laughs> exactly. Uh, this is awesome. Uh, just to open this up because just out of habit, I saw some notifications on Instagram before I went live. So I just pushed open in Mattie from the Millionaire Mindcast. I follow him and I love that he is also rebranding his mm-hmm. investor network and asking his followers what would be a better name. One of them is Collective. The other one is Network. Obviously, there's a like Wise Investors, his brand name. So he's trying to kind of dial yeah. that in just like we did with the scale community. We took some feedback, we took some polling and we came out with the scale community rebranded and, and redid all that stuff. So we're not the only ones in 2024 looking to grow and scale our network. Yeah, well, it, it's funny. I've actually been thinking about this is there is the online sort of community just in general of like people that are entertainers, educators, that podcast, whatever. For the last like, I don't know, decade, maybe not quite that long, eight years, there's been a lot of content out there for like newbies because everyone was kind of new, uh-huh. right? The thing is like at this point, there's so much newbie content out there that like if you make that kind of content, you're just repeating what already exists. Uh-huh. And not only that, but the people out there that are going to be interested in real estate kind of already know all that. So you're seeing this transition and this is why we we adopted the new scale community name away from our instant investor program was because it's geared towards people that are trying to scale and grow their businesses and their investing efforts as opposed to take the first step. Like there's a ton of people that have already taken the first step. They understand how to make their their first step. Listening to people talk about doing more Burr Mm -hmm. transactions or like, you know, learning how to network with realtors, Mm -hmm. things like that, isn't really that interesting anymore. Totally. Because everyone that's going to do that's kind of done it already, or at least understands the principle. Well, it's also like there's like an educational baseline. Like even if you're new into real estate right now, like that's just the baseline education that exists, right? Just as we've evolved, like as a community, as a network, as an, I don't know, as real estate's evolved and, and just society, mm-hmm. these types of alternative from the, when I say alternative, alternative from the stock market in your 401k, alternative investments, there's a baseline of knowledge that people just expect you know, because you're reading it now because there's so much free content out. Yeah. And, and also too, as someone that has a platform, there is a slightly selfish endeavor of the way that you can scale your community, you know, your mastermind, whatever you want to call it, to be people that will bring mutual value as well. Sure. And that's something that yeah. I guess we've learned over the past couple of years running what was our instant investor program, now our scale community, 
is we start to help shape and mold these people that turn into, you know, really solid investors. And as a result, because we kind of help them level up, we have a mutual level of respect for each other. We all make more money collectively, right? Mm-hmm. And if we bring in a ton of newbies, that will, might happen or might not because they could water it down, yeah, right? right? They're going to be more likely to, you know, lose interest, go chase another endeavor versus if you are just bringing in people that are established, you know, Matty, you realize this, Aaron Amuchastegui is doing the same thing with his mm-hmm. um, inner circle down in Austin, which I'm a part of, is that you surround yourself with people who you know are doing good stuff. And as a result, you all do good business together. Uh-huh. And it literally becomes like a collective or a team or a community as opposed to just like an educational. But you'll see more of it. You know, and I think the new divide that you'll see instead of it being stuff like for newbies and for like more advanced people, new divide will be things for the action takers versus the groups that just want to sit around in a circle jerk and not actually take any action. Totally. But you'll see there's already a ton of those out there. The people that you know, if every single post on that is someone posting about a win that's like not really a win, they just like did the one thing that they were supposed to be doing, it's probably a circle jerk group. Yeah, I guess there's a good example. Just if you join any community and you don't yourself feel like you're getting better or doing anything else, it's probably because that community is not right for you or it's not driving you and it's not giving you the right things you need. You know, you, you can just join passive communities all the time, especially free ones and you're likely to get almost nothing out of it right. because it's free. You're not going to really put much into it if you don't show up to things or you don't read them, read the new posts. Nothing's going to happen. Mm. But if you commit something, some dollar amount, and it's an alignment with what you want to do, you'll naturally be actually progressing through the things that you want and the, meeting the goals that you have set. Yeah. But you join a group that's not happening, it's probably because either you really don't care and you just like spending money or the group just sucks. Yeah. Exactly. You know, and, yeah. and the, that's the issue it's with a lot of like free groups or just free anything out there is you don't value it as much. Or sometimes the group, the the leaders of the group are scaling it to a point to where it's really tough to give people value. And then the group gets watered down enough that the group, it, it's just too much noise amongst everybody that you can't really connect with the right people to get that value. Yeah. So you need that good community that's alignment with you and what you're trying to do. Yeah. So, and I think a big thing is if you are sort of getting into like that, don't be afraid to shop around either and join multiple, especially when you're starting because yeah. you don't necessarily know what's out there if you only, you know, dive into one pool and never check it out with the others. Totally. Cool. But uh, yeah, we've been off to a decent little start to the new year. This is actually the first episode that we are recording after the new year, but we had a good start with basically a contract signed right out of the gates first thing this morning which has been great first thing this morning we had a sales guy on our team call me like the friday before new year's and just let me know that he's not coming back to work the day after new year's don't ever do that if you're an employee because that makes that your employer hate you forever (laughs) right like honestly i'm gonna i'm gonna hold that grudge just because the way that that whole thing panned out really puts everyone in a bad spot two-week notice is more appropriate. I'm just saying, if, well, I think we talked about this last week too. If you're going to leave your job, don't like neglect it for a week and a half and then give your employer a one-day notice. Mm-hmm. Because not, not only is that unfair to your employer, it's also unfair to like all the team members and have to pick up all your shit. Mm-hmm. Like seriously. I 100% agree with you, but there are some fundamental things where it's like, meh, if your employer is allowing you to just screw off and do anything and keep paying you, take advantage. There's a boundary for a lot of folks that you don't want to cross because you don't want to be known that person. Mm-hmm. 
as the person that just kind of, even if you, you were a really high performing person and then you become a turd at the end because you've given up, like there's like a, a lot of people who don't want that because they don't want that brand, that personal brand. Cause that personal brand, whether you like it or not, does follow you. Even if you're like, well, I'm never going to work there again. It still follows you. Well, I think it depends on what your relationship is with your previous employer, right? Is, I mean, if you're at like mm-hmm. a giant corporate company, you can absolutely do that because no one cares. That's like most of corporate America. Yeah, exactly. I mean, in fact, <laughs> if your new employer or new prospect calls the HR department, it's like, hey, how are they performing? They're probably going to say it was great because they don't even know who the fuck you are. <laughs> but right. when you work for a small company. Small business, yeah. You know, that's, it's much more impactful, right? And you're right, that does stick around, especially when it's like an Agreed. industry, like the real estate investment industry, which is a very small community nationwide. Very small. You know, so, but yeah, so we've been dealing with that. But either way, we're, so we're aggressively hiring for pack manager, for dispo manager. Now we got a bunch of new stuff that we are having the pipeline. We already, had, we had a ton of leads. We actually had, you know, we had 65 leads come in last week. Damn. Like on the week between, between Christmas and New Year's, which is like really wild. I didn't look at that, but that seems hot. Yeah, it's a lot. You know, for us to get get in like a week, it's not uncommon for us to have 100 plus leads in like a week. Mm-hmm. But usually that week between Christmas and New Year's is like dead. And we had a, yeah, no yeah, we had a, a ton come in. Yeah, so you've been working those and just trying to, you know, figure out how. So that's a good point though. Like if you had stopped marketing during the holidays and you'd shut down your follow-up, your January is probably looking pretty slow. So not only did you have a slow four weeks in December, but you might have a slow four weeks in January while you spin everything mm-hmm. back up. And so that's two months out of 12, 12 rolling months that you're down. So, I mean, 10 twelfths is all you're yeah. working with when everybody else is working on 12 yeah. twelfths. I mean, it, it, that's why we always preach that to not slow down during the holidays, right? And just, I think that the shift that happens between like newer investors and business owners and established ones is you graduate from looking at things on a month by month basis looking on a quarterly basis. Yeah, yeah. The problem with new investors is they think like, well, I don't want to spend money in December because I'm not going to close as many deals in December. It's like, well, you weren't going to close any deals in December from your December marketing anyway. Yeah, yeah. You're going to close deals in December from your October and November marketing. Yep. You're going to close deals in January and February from your December marketing. Yeah, yeah. Right? But people that haven't been in business for long don't understand that. Yeah. That's why corporations work on quarters because you need like that 90-day block to actually see like any traction or any feedback and your results results once you make a change yeah you need 90 days to see the results of that change and that's the same thing and and i wonder if that's i don't know anything about marketing in corporate america or for another type of business i just know for real estate and that's about the good marketing cycle you need i mean i so. like fundamentally i'm sure it's very similar if you're at similar like size of business like i think when you're getting to a business where you're doing yeah. hundreds of millions of dollars it's probably different but i would say that i would pontificate that a business is doing 2 million or 20 million is probably fundamentally similar. There's just more of it, you know? Yeah, more of that stuff, whatever that is. When you get to that like $100 million, $200 million standpoint that you're probably spending millions and millions of dollars on marketing, right? I mean, if you think about it, look at like Coca-Cola, right? They're known as like the kind of like pinnacle of marketing, right? Their marketing company is like the business case study with them. They're not a soda company, they're a marketing company. Mm -hmm. And they're doing bandit signs right? They've got Coca-Cola signs everywhere. They're just a little bit, they're not banded signs, you know, they're billboards and they're, you know, signs on the sides of buildings and stuff like that. And they have like, there's Coke everywhere. Like every stadium you go, there's a Coca-Cola or a Pepsi sign, right? So they're doing all that sort of stuff. They're doing all their other outreach campaigns, their commercials, same stuff we're doing. Yeah. I mean, they have their banded signs in other places, right? You watch like the college football games and you know, they'll they'll be like Mm -hmm. on the freaking signs that all the fans have. It'll say Coca-Cola at the bottom. 
that's their own form of band science, just uh, more socially acceptable. Yeah. It's just basically getting eyes on your product. Yeah. That's what it comes down to. Yeah. But outside of that, we have our, our properties that if you listen weeks ago, that are, the subject to note got called. We now expect offers on two of those to be able to sell the market. Super, super sick. So I'm hoping that we'll actually be able to get two of those offloaded before we even have to do the full refinance. I know. Which would be great, which will save us a ton of money, which will turn those into, from being potentially a disaster to actually being pretty profitable. Yeah. I mean, it's still kind of early on in the transaction process. And this is where real estate, the the transaction like literally just begins when you sign a contract, right? I know. And then the frustrating thing about this one, the one duplex, the first one we signed where half, was it half of it, all the utilities were shut off. Yeah, actually it had been empty. And so interesting down in, in Louisiana, the difference between what it is up here, because like in Washington, if somebody requests electricity, you have to turn it on within like 24 hours. <laughs> down there, eh, not so much. Water, not so much. And so, and then they turn the water on and we have a plumbing leak that has to get fixed. And so we have to do all this so the inspector can inspect the property. Mm -hmm. And so it's just like this minutia of like these little teeny steps that you have to jump through the hoops and stay on top of your shit and not wait, you know, don't delay like moving things along because every time you are a four, six, eight hour delay in communication, it's back the same exact way. Another four, six, eight hours that you could have essentially two business days before anything gets done in a transaction. So man, always stay on top of your stuff and be like over communicative especially like once you get that contract signed until every single contingency check and that closing table has your signature and the checks on the way to your bank account, like nothing's done. Oh yeah, so pretty much at this point, we always wait for things to fall apart on the last minute. I mean, we, absolutely. It's like, what is going to keep this from happening? Because yeah. you do this enough times, you, you just hear the wildest stuff. I mean, we've had deals fall apart like on closing day. We had a flip several years right. ago that we were expecting to net $85,000 in profit and the so cool. morning of closing, the lender says that they can't do the deal because of insurance reasons because it was a condo. Uh, and there's a bunch of stuff. But you never know, right? If you spend that money before it comes back, like it's always a dangerous game. Yep. So, uh, but yeah, I mean, speaking of communication, you can have fun with our lease option deal. With oh yeah, the uh, the seller wrap. It turns from a lease option to a seller wrap. Yeah, so we're doing it in a seller wrap now. We kind of found the market was a little soft for lease options where we're at. And yeah, this, this is one of those deals where it's like the deal's not done until the deal's done. So working with this guy who is urgently wanting to get into the house. His Christmas, as he stated, is January 7th. So he wants to get his family in there by January 7th. I don't know if that's a certain holiday. That's his Christmas? It's his Christmas. I don't know if they're just delaying it by a couple weeks or if that's a, a Christmas. He's from Russia which my understanding was most of those people don't aren't Christians. So I don't know. I'm just guessing that maybe he's delaying his Christmas. Now I'm fascinated. Uh, it's National Bobblehead Day. Is that what he celebrates? Uh, I hope not. But anyways, so you think a guy that's urgent wanting to get in the property would want to get things moving. He just dropped his EMD off today after what we've been assigned around with him like 10 days yeah. before Christmas. And so then like trying to work with him because he wants to do early possession. I'm like, hell yeah, you can have early possession. You just got to put down your entire down payment of $30,000 yeah. to do that. And then he's negotiating me with me on that. And I'm like, bro, you got to pay the money regardless. And like, yeah, right. You know, like you want my house, like just put 30K down in escrow. I'm not saying give it to me, put in escrow. Yeah. Um, and this is kind of what we're, just to break that down for you all is like, I want to get this buyer as dedicated to the property as possible so that he doesn't want to back out. I want to go back on the market. I want to keep in there. We're at the price we want. We've got everything we need. Property's ready to go. No inspections. We're good. It's like, get him in there. 
he can take early possession. It'll probably be like two weeks early just because of how long title is going to take on this thing. Yeah. And then that $30,000 will sit in escrow until the transaction closes, at which time it'll just transfer to us like it would normally because that's his down payment to us on this seller wrap transaction. And we can dive into what a seller wrap is here in a minute if we need to. But from that point, like if he doesn't close on the property for some unforeseen reason, and it's, it's not anybody's fault, we'll just give him his money back, mm-hmm. but he's got 14 days to move out of the property or I'm gonna charge him $5,000 a month for every 30 days after that, mm-hmm. right? For per, basically $5,000 a month in rent to get him out of there. So I've really incentivized him to close the transaction. On our end, there should be no reason it doesn't close, yeah. right? Well, good to so, go, yeah. uh, we're, we're good to go, everything's good. But if there is a foreseen reason, I'm just gonna give it back to him and say, hey, you've got you know, 14 days to move out of the property. We're all good. Yeah. But he's, he's fine with that. He's just negotiating the dollar amount. I'm like, bro, like, yeah. Dude, just pay it. Like you, a week later, two weeks later, you're gonna have to write the check again. Just write one check, dude, and let's do it. And he's just a slow ass communicator. And so this is one of those things where I was talking about just earlier. Like every time you have a delay in communication, account for their delay. Next thing you know, three days have gone by and you still don't have a, an addendum signed for early possession. He wants to be in there here. And yeah, like I said, the seven or his Christmas on the seventh. So he wants to be in there this week. Mm. Yeah, well, I mean, that hopefully does. Like, that would be cool to find a thing move. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, so just zooming back to the Christmas thing, it is Christmas for Russian Orthodox. I wasn't going to be presumptuous, but I was going to assume he's Russian Orthodox. Yeah, it's Eastern Orthodox. Christmas is January 7th because they actually have a go. different calendar than Western people, which have a Gregorian calendar. They have a Julian calendar. So, oh, yeah. Anyway, you learned something today. I've never heard that. Absolutely. But, uh, yeah, so I mean, like on, on this deal though, this is always like the stuff that people don't talk to you about when you hear these, you know, gurus and things talk about doing these like, oh, I just do a lease option. It's like super easy. <laughs> Here's the thing. Like, it's just like being a wholesaler. You're being, dealing with weird freaking sellers. When you are <laughs> doing the opposite end of it, you're doing a lease option. You are doing a seller wrap. You are doing something that the buyer is a non-traditional buyer. They are going to be, have baggage. Right. They're going to have There's a like, reason why they're non traditional. Correct. Right. And, yes. and, you know, sometimes it's because they're an immigrant family doesn't have credit. Sometimes it's because, like, this guy is a contractor and, you know, doesn't pay his taxes, <laughs> whatever he does. So he, he has no tax returns. We can't get a bank loan. Right. You know, those things are all, are all fine and dandy. But there will be instances where you have these people that have baggage. And that is why they're not a normal buyer. Absolutely. Don't, don't get nervous about it. That's, this is the business we're working in. You know, a lot of times people would get nervous. We're like, oh, it's not exactly how it's supposed to be. They don't have the perfect lending scores and they don't have this, they're not doing this. It's like, that's why A, probably getting a higher return on investment Mm -hmm. and B, why you're going to have to do a little bit of work for that higher return on investment is because it's just non-traditional. And if you're going to get scared off by that, then doing these types of deals is probably not for you. And that's totally fine. Mm -hmm. There's lots of money to be made doing other transactions out there, but for us, we're able to expand the number of transactions we do because we're able to step into these different types of scenarios and kind of lean into the uncomfortable areas. And are there a risk? Absolutely. But that's why you need a higher return on investment. Yeah. I mean, it, it's interesting too, right? Because if you look at it, like say real estate versus say, like securities and stocks, securities, you'll have kind of like the main players, Apple, you know, Microsoft, you know, they're good companies, they have good fundamentals, they yep. make a lot of money. If you buy those over the long term, you're probably going to do good, right? Yeah. Same with like, you know, and with those, it can be generally, you don't have to monitor them, you just plug and play, it just goes. That's like your traditional long-term rental. You know, you can right. go, yeah. you can 
get a normal tenant, you can have high credit per property manager, your return's going to be lower versus if you're buying the penny stocks and you're like playing some games and doing some weird stuff, but you know that it will go up over a long period of time. In the real estate world, if you want to squeeze out extra return, extra money, like you said, you want to do the short-term rentals, you want to do the rent by the room, you want to do the lease options, you want to do the sober living communities, right? Whatever people are doing. Mm -hmm. They are all going to come with extra work. That is why they are more profitable. If they weren't more work, they would be so incredibly oversaturated and they would not be as profitable because everyone would be doing them. That That is why they are that way. And anyone that tells you they have a system that does not require any work, it is because they are either lying to you or they have spent an incredible amount of time and done an incredible amount of work getting to that point. Right, they've earned it and they probably have they've staff and people doing some of the work for them. Yeah, but a lot of people don't like to believe that. They're like, I just get Airbnb and I just plug in my short-term property manager. They only take 30% of the gross of the freaking top line. It's like, I know you're not making anything. Dude. <laughs> but people do it all the time. So anyways, yeah, so hopefully we get that one sorted out. We can start getting some, uh, you know, money back in the bank because of our, our like rental reserves are, are looking a little little low, man. Yeah, we've had some big turnovers. They currently look like my high school bank account. Man, you had a lot of money in high school, bro. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I worked at a restaurant. Okay, I made $6 <laughs> an hour. So, and I had zero, I had zero expenses. Yeah, that's good for Montana. Uh, yeah, we've had a lot of turnovers and plus this house that we're selling that we had did some renovations on and we have a down payment locked up into that house and so we're trying to hopefully Q1 will be bring back some cash or at least restabilize some properties in our like 2024 will be somewhat profitable on the on the portfolio standpoint. Yeah. It was, just, it was uh, who was it that we had Shelby? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Shelby uh, from Pints and Properties on our, uh, what did you call her group? You called it something else. I'm just laughing about uh, that. I can't remember, but it's like the five pillars group. I, no, yeah, you called her Pints and, no, maybe it was a different person. I don't know, it doesn't matter. That was Grace. That was Grace. I kept calling her group Invest Her, but it was the Wire community. That's it, that's it, yeah. I was like, I'm the world's worst host or yeah. just like, I don't know, remembering stuff like that. At least you own it, right? Anyways, she was talking about when you buy a property, and you're like, oh yeah, that roof's about five years old or it's gonna, got about five years left in it. And well, guess what? Five years comes really fast and you gotta replace a freaking roof. Yeah. And when you have to replace the roof and you're like, ooh, I don't really wanna refinance right now, you're looking at an eight to $12,000 expense that just sits there in the property is a capital asset, of course, so you can depreciate it over time, which kind of stinks because you can't expense it all in one year. But anyhow, like we have had some of those in our portfolio and every that happens when you have a really big growth period and in buying properties and then you kind of accumulate some reserves and some cash and then those turn over after you've done it. Like the one, two big ones we, we were turning over that really expensive turnovers were property, were on units on a same, the same property where we bought it as a good performing asset, but we knew the interior of the units were going to need work if they turned over. Mm-hmm. And for that reason, we didn't raise rents right away. We slowly got them to where they're at now. Well, one guy's dying and another lady could not. She was the only one not on Section 8, so she couldn't afford the rent increases and she had to move out. Mm-hmm. And so those two units need some work. Yeah. And the one is super gross. I mean, and that's exactly, it's funny, that little quote from Shelby, you guys should go listen to that episode. What number is it? You know, I'll put it in the show notes. But that little clip that she had of, I was episode 161. Yeah, exactly. Like, you know, you knew it was going to be a $12,000 roof three years ago. And now now that $12,000, that, that check is due. That was 100% us on the unit that we're talking about. We're like, yeah. oh yeah, we have to turn those units. It'll be like 20K to just turn each yeah, one. we'll be fine. That's future us problems. Yeah, it's future us problems. Now we got two of those in like a yeah. eight week span. You know, that check is due now. It's not due in the totally. future. It is due right now. 
Yeah. Plus, you know, other typical property management expenses that you do account for, right? It just adds up. Yeah. You know, we always talk about the woes because I think we want it to be very well known that it's work and it costs money to own these properties long term, but it's still a great asset. I was actually just telling somebody about this property. I was like, honestly, if I didn't have a half million in equity in this thing that I didn't really have to work for, I would not want to do this. Mm-hmm. Totally. But working for that equity that's sitting in there because we bought it at such a great price for a reason. Again, you have to put in work to actually earn your value. We bought it at such a good price. And then we were able to raise rents and we did, we were following the business plan, right? Which on a multi, a multifamily property, a big above four units is the business plan is buy it, reduce expenses, increase rents, mm-hmm. because then it's based on the cap rate or whatever the market cap rate is from the, you know, net operating income of that property. And so by reducing expenses and increasing rents, you're essentially increasing your net operating income. If your cap rates keep going down and get smaller and smaller and smaller, which they're not right now, but like as they get smaller and smaller, the value of that property just keeps going up. And so on this one, that's why we're sitting here even talking about it because we do have good equity. Oh, yeah. I mean, this is why it's so important to buy good deals as well. I mean, we bought this one for just just over $100,000 a unit. It's a little six unit. Mm -hmm. And depending on how decent the property is, they can trade for between $160,000 to $170,000 a unit. For like C class and A class in Spokane, she'll sell for like 300K a unit. Right. But, you know, in this class, like we have basically a 50% upside. Well, and here's the deal is we bought it with no money out of pocket because we used an investor's money for the down, like it was like 150,000 down or whatever it was. And then we paid that investor off Mm -hmm. and we did not refinance this property to do that. Yeah, yeah, not yet. But if we do want to refinance it when rates get a little bit better, we'll be able to do it. And, you know, they'll be able to recover it or I'll be able to sell it to somebody when, when rates go down and cap rates go up and just like make, a lot of money, sell to yeah. somebody else who wants to deal with it and we yeah. can roll into something a little bit nicer. But I mean, that's that's a game. And I think that talking about those woes, it's funny, we do that a lot, but I think yeah. it's because you do in a business and those kind of become the interesting stories, right? Like talking about your wins is cool, but then just kind of like, I don't know, dick measuring contests after a while. Yeah, I mean, we do win. <laughs> I mean, yeah. You know what I mean? We do win. I The win on this one that we're specifically talking about is for a a dollar postcard and no, essentially no money out of our pocket. We bought a, you know, multi, you know, well, a million dollar asset mm-hmm. that we now own without an investor against it. And we used other profits to pay him off. And we basically didn't have to have any of that stuff and a $1 postcard and the knowledge and know-how of the system to buy at a discount. Yeah. We're sitting here pretty happy with a decent problem. Well, it's funny. We say a $1 postcard is a $1 postcard with tens of hours of phone calls with this freaking guy. And <laughs> yeah. I think it was 16 months of follow-up from when he first came. Negotiating over a freaking snowblower at the end of it. Dude, insane, right? Like, literally, the guy's yeah. literally about to walk away with like 600 or something K in cash and he's going to argue over a $150 snowblower. <laughs> right. And it was something like, how about I leave the snowblower and don't give you the deposits back? And we're like, no. What are you talking about? Like, not your money. Yeah, like, Jesus. But anyways, so the crusty bastard. Yeah. You know, that's how, that's how the game works. Now, it'll, it'll be interesting, man. I'm, I'm curious to see how the real estate market goes. I do think fundamentally things are looking really good for this year. You know, I think our, I mean, our business is primed to do well. I'm excited about that. But I think that all real estate investors that have established systems that are playing the game going into this next year will have the opportunity to do very, very well. Mm-hmm. You know, if you're just starting out, get to work because I think it's going to start to pick up very quickly as we get into the kind of buying season in the spring. Totally. You know, and if you're someone that's sort of been on the side or you like, you're trying to figure out when exactly you want to start leveling up and scaling, now's the time to start doing it. I mean, we're seeing that people in our scale community. I mean, we had one of our guys, um, he just had his first month and 
he's like about to buy 32 units off of his first yeah. month of marketing effort. Well, it's a insane. It's a 38 unit portfolio and he's working on the first 19. So yeah. he said he's going to take down half of those. Yeah, on his first batch of mail, like super sick. He's never bought real estate before at Ever. all. And he's calculating at a 47% cash on cash return if he can get this thing basically done. Yeah, you know, and, and it's funny, you hear, you start to hear that verse and you're like, that seems like a little bit too good to be true. But the funny thing is, is I did like a little one-on-one coaching call with them. We looked at the numbers, we looked at the valuations. He's pretty dang spot on. Like, I think that there's probably some, because they're older properties, some extra renovation costs that he's probably not taking into account. But like, he has so much room on the deals. Doesn't matter. Just, doesn't matter. just do it, right? Yep. He sourced them. He's negotiating the deal. He's having good rapport with the seller. And all of a sudden, he's going to go from never having done a deal to owning a larger portfolio <laughs> than most yeah. people will ever own yeah. in a very yep. quick period of time. So I love it. Yeah. So anyways, it's just it's time to be that guy. Time to start leveling up and start pushing for it. There's going to be a lot of opportunities. Yep. And that, you know, it's funny. Like, let's just pull a thread on him a little bit. Kyle is our guy we're talking about. He joined the program late last year. He went to KeysCon and like before we even started KeysCon, him just being around the group, he already, we, you and I showed up the next morning and he's like, all right, I've already figured out here's my path to quitting my job and all these sorts of things. Like, holy crap. And now he's executing on all that sort of stuff that he actually s- talked about doing yeah. at KeysCon and what he kind of masterminded there. And it's, so it's super, super cool. Yeah, well, I think it's the value of putting yourself in a room and, you know, finding that education and seeking that knowledge and seeking those connections. Because you're right, he's been, I think he's been with since like August. Yeah. He just, maybe even July, but he just started going in December, started his business because he was completely green to real estate. He's like, you guys are really good at what you do. I want to be around you guys. And, you know, that's, there's a lot of people, they look at these groups and say, well, I want to like try and figure it out myself first. You know, I want to like get a little bit further along before I jump in. He just jumped in with no experience and just started learning from a fire hose. And lo totally. and behold, now he's about to, his, his, now that he's officially pressed the launch button, like he's going to be on the moon here in the next six weeks. Like, yeah, dude. So yeah, it's just, it is the time to start pushing. But uh, yeah, well, outside of that, what are investments stuff? How do you feel about like long-term stuff this year? I know we didn't buy a ton of long-term, long-term stuff last year. I know you have some ambitions to buy some more long-term things this year. Yeah, I'm all playing on cash flow right now. That's kind of one of my goals this year is to continue to buy cash flow. And I say that, but I mean, I'm a deal guy. Like if it has a lot of, if it has a lot of equity upside and a little bit of cash flow, I'll still buy it. You know what I mean? But I am getting kind of a little bit more interested. You and I talked about after recording with, with a guy, I don't know when Sam's episode launches, but I'll be here about a month, but yeah, he essentially does some pad split stuff, essentially, but he doesn't, I don't think he leverages pads, but I think he has his own stuff that he his own marketing and stuff so he doesn't have to use them but you and i have joked around about the pad split kind of people that the wholesalers are like oh if you put this thing on a on pad split you'll make a shit ton of money and maybe you will maybe you won't but you shouldn't buy it at that price because you can only cash flow with pad split right yes. that's the idea that's the joke that mike and i have made but and i'm and i'm not saying i'm looking at pad split but i'm looking at that those types of different opportunities where you can essentially go buy a property for a good price prices that we can entertain all day long as we can yeah right easy, good, solid off-market deals, but probably more of a flip if we're not going to get a lot of cash flow or if we have to tie up some cash, right? Because you and I don't love to tie up cash to properties if we don't have to. Mm-hmm. So are those, those properties, though, where your cash on cash does go through the roof because you're able to do something creative? Mm-hmm. 
So renting by the room is something we can market test. I do think that there's probably some potential in assisted living. I don't know what that looks like right now. What frack, what does that look like? Maybe just owning the real estate asset and connecting with those people that do the assisted living rent by the room. Like if you look at, I think it was uh, Medicaid I was reading a study on, like I think they pay a maximum of $4,500 per person for assisted living. So if you think about that, $4,500 per month per person in a, you know, eight, nine, 10 bedroom property. Yeah, you can start seeing there's probably a scale there. And, and we, you and I both know people in that industry. So just that's my, that's my curiosity phase right now. And like looking at long-term real estate investments specifically to see what kind of cash flow you can squeeze out of some of these properties and be a little bit more creative. Yeah, well, I think it has to be the right property. The thing that all the wholesalers trying to sell stuff like that gets wrong is they're trying to sell you this ghetto-ass beater house <laughs> in a hood know, right? you can rent on passive, but that's not how it works, right? No one's going to rent that sauce. It's like a really colorful person that you do not want there, right? That's like, the, that's totally. what people are like, they're making a meth community in your house. You know, you definitely right. But yeah, the right kind of house, and with Sam, I was into that episode, which I'm really excited for him to come out, is he buys like these basically nicer, larger, rancher-style homes, and he modifies yeah. them to be a co-living community and not basically you just bought a 1970s split level, this kind of an awkward three bed, two bath, and you're having people, you're kicking them in there and going, here you go, have fun. Yeah, like, yeah, but having people like stay in closets basically uh-huh. to like make more ex- extra money and it's in a shitty part of town. And so, yeah, and I, and I think, so Sam does his investing in Charlotte, North Carolina, which I think is a really a good city for that. And so, you know, I don't know if Spokane is, I don't know, I don't know any of these things. I'm just speculating on potentially how do you increase cash flow out of some of these properties that you underwrite as a long-term rental, maybe they break even, but then you can go and get two, $3,000 a month of cash flow off of these things. Mm-hmm. Or just look at other markets where cash flow is more common. Yeah. Right? There's markets out there where you can go get cash flow all day long. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, they're, it's just, they're just finding them, right? Mm-hmm. But it's always gonna be different. I mean, like with interest rates, things like that, that's going to be the risk and it just comes down to how do you make things work? Or mm-hmm. have, one of the big things we've been talking about in our, our group as well is having your long-term investment market along with your cash generating market. So this is a, a big thing we had old Red Johnson on last Monday's episode. And he talks about how he has his wholesaling market, makes all his money, and he's just in doing all of his investments in San Diego. Yeah. Had basically a zero cash flow margin, but he generates a ton of cash from his business. And he's like, San Diego is not going anywhere. Mm-hmm. Right? Like people will continue moving here. You can't really develop around the city a whole lot because there's like the base and there's like a desert and all these different things. So he's super bullish on the long term. And if you want to treat real estate like an investment, which I think is the new way to view real estate, I think that the old school bigger pockets ways of, you know, you just talk to a realtor and you buy a house for 70 cents in the dollar and then you burn your money out and you collect your cash flow and you do all those things. I don't think that's going to come back ever in that traditional simplicity, right? You're going to have to learn how to make massive income invest it into your passive income or into your long-term assets. And that's what else is going to be. People that aren't willing to do that are just never going to be able to have real set any sort of scale as if they're honest with their numbers. If they lie and they they ignore the $13,000 roof that is eventually going to come through it, they can get away with it for like a couple of years. But well, I mean, the the burr process is in itself inherently slow too. So maybe you can go and find some burrs, but it is a slow process, especially if you're capital limited, capital constrained, what you happen to be which is why I think you and I have found kind of our niche 
in doing off-market real estate as a as a massive income generation with our wholesaling and flipping that generates income, not only that you can like reinvest, but you can live off mm-hmm. of it, right? But then it gives you the opportunity to do more deals instead of one burr a year or two burrs a year or whatever you can sustain with your capital because real estate's stinking expensive. It just is. Yeah. Unless you're buying $30,000, $40,000 houses and you're making, you know, over six figures a year and you can easily put down small down payments and they're cash flowing. Well, that, those, that is probably exists out there. It's just less common for most people. Yeah. Where most people live. Yeah. It's only getting more expensive and, you know, people are making less money on an average basis. So, yeah, that's the place. It's interesting if you actually do, like, if you look at where people live um, in the United States, like where most people live, like, I think it's like two thirds of the population lives east of the Mississippi River. Yeah, really. And so when you talk about like for most, when I, or at least when I talk about for most people, like think about where you live, there's a big swath, like the West where Mike and I live is actually not that populated, even though we live in some densely populated areas and there are the I-5 corridor from Seattle down to, you know, San Diego, essentially, there's a lot of population. There's a lot of nothing in between that too. But until you get like over into east of the Mississippi, you don't really have a ton of density. And so when you say like real estate's only going to get more expensive, it's because we're all kind of like coalescing into the same areas, Mm -hmm. these cities and these areas. And so less and less land is valuable. And it gets more, as it gets more and more expensive to develop, it's harder for people to push out, yeah. you know what I mean? And continue to build because it gets more and more expensive the further you're away from resources and all that sort of stuff. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah, it'll be, it'll be interesting. I don't know. As I, there's just like a lot of older content that I think isn't fully applicable, but it's hard to know where to start, right? I think that the most important thing is just to get around people that are actually figuring it out right now. If you were to break it down, I think you're absolutely right. Like you got to get around people that are doing what you want to mm-hmm. do. Is the burr dead? I don't think the burr was ever not a thing because the burr existed for decades and decades before yeah. Branchera coined the term and it still exists. And that is that is the business model mm-hmm. for real estate is you buy it, you increase the value and then you refinance and then you refinance again and you refinance again and you keep pulling out cash-free money mm-hmm. until you die. You upgrade the properties using 1031. Like that's the traditional real estate model. You don't have to do it until you die. Like you and I have sold properties and paid the taxes on it. I think that's perfectly okay too. But from an efficient standpoint, that still exists. But it's going to be harder to do this like low and no money down real estate in the traditional sense that was taught for many, many years because there's more competition. Historically, hedge funds were not buying real Mm -hmm. estate like they are now. They weren't, you know, there's people buying, like there's REITs out there that were doing a lot of new construction as well. But there's like REITs and hedge funds out there buying used properties, like existing homes, which is uncommon. There's investment banks out there building turnkey to rent and basically controlling that part of the market. And then there's mom and pop people like you and I who are out there buying. So there's just more competition buying the same houses. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it's harder to get it at a, at a major discount because those sellers have options. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the, the sell, exactly. The sellers have options. And I also think too that a big thing you're going to see is, especially with what happened in 2021, you're going to have a ton of people that will never sell their house because they have a projected, what, their 2.7% interest rate that they got, how much interest that's going to save them over the course of their life, and they have now decided that they will live in the house forever. This is something, maybe I'm way off base here, but when people tell you, like, how much money you'll save on interest from this interest rate to that interest rate, it makes no difference to me if I'm going to pay a billion dollars in interest or $10 in interest on my property, because I'm fundamentally, I'm picking 
the property that I can afford to pay, whatever the amortization mm-hmm. is. If it's $5,000 a month or $1,000 a month, that's the property I'm going to buy. I'm paying that payment regardless for 30 years. Yeah. If it's your primary, right? Who cares what the interest is? You're still paying it off. It does make a difference to you because you're an adaptable person that has, I would say, like upward momentum in your life, right? If you are the average person, average couple, whatever, average family, mom has a career, maybe dad has a career, right? One, there's at least one working parent. That person is doing that job. Their plan to make more money is to maybe change jobs and get a higher salary to invest in their 401k, to invest in some stocks on the side, do whatever, put some money away for Timmy to go to college. For them, it's a very easy sale to be like, hey, if you have this lower interest rate, you're going to have this much equity in your home mm-hmm. that you can potentially use to send Timmy to college in 18 years, 15 years, sure. 14 years, whatever it is, right? To those people, it makes sense. For a real estate investor, for a business-inclined person, it does not make sense. That is kind of a silly way to look at it because you, it totally is. you will quickly reach a point where you have so much equity where it probably is better spent going and doing something else to that property than just paying down that debt. Absolutely. Right. So that's point one I was going to make. Yeah. The point two I was going to make, though, is that interest rates go down, prices go up, mm-hmm. interest rates go up, prices go down. Yes. So it, essentially, it, it's a moving scale, so it doesn't matter. Yeah. Right. Sure. So if you're like, I got a 2.75% interest rate, I'm like, yeah, but you can't sell your house for what you could in 7% interest rate environment. So it doesn't matter. You just lost 10, 12% of your equity. So who cares? Yeah. We could do a whole episode just like diving in on on what the correct way to approach that is, especially as an investor. But but the funny thing is, is we know people that are successful. Like I know GoBundance guys that are worth like millions of dollars that are like, I got a 2.7 rate on that house. I will never sell it. Right. I'm like, why? <laughs> I mean, I know exactly what. <laughs> I have literally a 2.25% rate mm-hmm. on my house. Yeah. And only reason I have that is because when I bought it, it was the rates were 2.75. And then literally like a year after I bought it, this dude from the bank called me and he's like, hey, we would love to refinance your loan to a 2.25% interest rate. And I was like, yeah, what's it going to cost me? He's like, nothing. And I looked at it and now he's like, with the credits we have, it's going to cost you nothing. And because I used a VA loan to buy my primary, I have this like whatever VA interest rate reduction loan thing. I don't know how it works. It cost me no money out of pocket and, and didn't add really anything. So I changed what they actually end up having to do. So this is kind of hokey was they had to cash out my escrow accounts. Okay. And then instead of me having to repay that cash, like we'll just throw that back on the back end of the loan, mm-hmm. which is fine. It was like five grand or something like that. Yeah. But they gave me five grand cash for my escrow accounts after closing. And it was like a silly thing, right? And so like, yeah, I have 2.25% interest rate on my primary, but it really does not matter. Maybe, maybe it matters because I can do like a sub two and a seller wrap to sell my house to get, because maybe I can use it as a marketing thing. But you should never do that for your primary home. That doesn't make sense. Just sell it because tax-free income. <laughs> I'm just saying, I don't know, like, Trying to come up with a way that it matters. <laughs> for, for a rental property, sure. Right. Like, like you can sell a rental property that way. It's a great way to get more money for a rental if someone's trying to do a 1031. But doing that, for, like people talk about trying to sell their their primaries on subject to, just sell a freaking house and take the money. You don't need to worry about taxes or anything else. It doesn't right. make any sense. But yeah, we could go into a whole conversation. Kind of running this one long. We are, yeah. So anyways, guys, we're gonna cut kind of us. <laughs> we're gonna get even more of the weeds. Thanks for listening, everybody. You should share this with other people who enjoy real estate investing or just two guys talking about whatever we feel like. Um, it's a great way to help grow. We appreciate it. 
You should also shoot us a follow on Instagram. I'm at Mike underscore invest. Dan is at investor man, Dan. And we're pretty sure we'll talk to you guys next week. See y'all.